is Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True, True Crime, Crime New England. England. What's up, everybody? Hello, welcome back. How's everyone doing? Katie. I'm doing okay. Good. As good as I can be right now. How are you doing? Um, I'm here. Yeah. I- I'm not drafted yet. <laughs> I know. For those of you who don't know, well, today we're recording. It's Thursday, February 24th. Mm-hmm. So about a week before this episode comes out. And officially as of last night or this morning um russia declared war on ukraine yeah so this podcast might not even matter soon because it's possible you and i will be nurses on the front lines (laughs) because i imagine that's why they would draft us i it's just (sighs) i think pretty soon we're probably gonna be walking to work which is a problem for you and i because we both have i have a decent commute it's like 25 minutes yours is what over 40 Yep, 45. Okay, so that's going to be um, tough in the mornings for us, but I think... Uh, <laughs> We've got some exercise. We've got some exercise. I can afford to lose some weight. That's good. It's just... Uh, and not to mention, we won't be eating either, because food prices are going to skyrocket. Yep. So that's good. I mean, they're already skyrocketing. It's, it's like true. ridiculous. It's true. It's terrifying. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking about it earlier, and I was like, they're going to draft us because we're nurses. You know, we, our skills are very useful for the war. And you brought up a very good point. Um, (laughs) In traditional drafts, you know, like Vietnam, Korea, Mm -hmm. whatever, um, you know, if you had depression, you would not be drafted. So if that still holds true today in 2022, you and I are good. We're safe. We'll be home, happy, uh, being great housewives, if that's what it takes. It just is such a shit situation. It's real scary. Yep. Like, I saw this meme somewhere that was like, I'm really tired of living through so many historical events. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yep, that mm-hmm. is so true. It's not fun. It's getting really exhausting. So anyway, let's do a 180 turn and talk about almost like a call to action. Yeah. We want your guys' help. Yeah, we're in the market for some new stuff, Um, whether it's a laptop or microphones for recording or just things that you guys, if you podcast on your own, I know we have a couple different podcasts that also listen to us and we listen to you guys. So if you guys have any favorites for equipment, let us know because it is tax season and we would Mm -hmm. like to spend our tax returns Mm -hmm. on the podcast. Oh yeah. And I don't know if you guys know this, we don't make money off of this. No, we don't. Yes, we had an ad for Anchor for a little bit. Apparently, there's a cap for that, so we no longer have an ad for Anchor. They used us up. Now, we don't have any ads available, so if you are looking to expand your market, hi, we'll do an ad. Um, but seriously, we it's tax season. Uh, it's basically free money. I know it's not, but that's what it feels like. So if you guys have recommendations for what you use for recording... Um, that would be great. I think my 2017 MacBook Pro probably isn't handling as well as I'd like anymore. <laughs> mostly because it has four years of college work on it. Oh, true. That I still haven't deleted because nostalgia? No, laziness, perhaps? <laughs> I'm not really sure. But we always are looking to, to improve our podcast. So if you guys can help us with that, that would be great. Just send us a DM or an email like, oh, this is what I use. You know, any advice or just even suggestion is yeah, perfectly welcomed. We appreciate that. Um, 
we just want to improve. That's all. Also, today, when this episode comes out, officially marks the end of the giveaway. Yeah, so thank you so much to everybody that entered, and we will be in touch with the winners. So later today, today's the third, Mm -hmm. we are going to be announcing on Instagram the winner of first place, second place, and third place. Yes, and we'll be in touch with you guys for your shipping addresses so we can get your prizes to you. We're so excited. We had a lot of submissions, um, which not only helped us, but also I think helped you guys because you guys get some exciting stuff and definitely won't be our last giveaway. Mm -hmm. We really are in the market for trying other merch ideas. If you guys have any ideas of things like, do we have common phrases that we say that we don't even realize? Oh, true. That you like? Or do you have a quote that you like that we said that you want on a t-shirt? I don't I don't fucking know. You tell us because we're, we got to expand. We're going to make things more popular, get things going, donate more money to charities, and we need your help with that. So, yeah, reach out. Let reach us know. out. Yeah. What do you guys want? Um, I think we have enough of an audience now to say we could have something in the works. So that would be whatever you guys uh, think, whatever you guys suggest, we'll definitely take into heart. Hell yeah. So... With that, let's talk about today's case a little bit. Sad. Just a general sad. It's wild. It is wild. And it's unsolved to the point where they have no information on the cause of death even. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's a good one. It is a good one. And we have been on an unsolved kick lately. Mm -hmm. We really have. Which is okay. I'm partial to the unsolved mysteries but it's still entertaining no matter how sad so today's episode is just it's a good one so we hope you stick around for it um i think it's you know anytime we talk about unsolved there's always a chance that somebody knows something Mm -hmm. in that if they the right person hears this maybe we can um get some answers for sure anything helps you know and without further ado we will be covering the case of The Mysterious Death of Brian Neisenfeld. Okay, and per usual, we will start with our sources. And Katie, would you mind going first? Sure. I had stuff from Unsolved Mysteries Wiki. The Unsolved Mystery Show, it was season 11, episode 6, philly.com, wpri.com, CBS News, and then an Unsolved Mysteries Reddit thread. I just love Reddit so much. They're very helpful. It is very helpful, and it's interesting to see what people say mm-hmm. in the comments. Um, I also had Reddit. I had Unsolved Wiki as well, The Associated Press, The Providence Phoenix, truecrimestories.com, and an article from CBS News. Ooh. So we got all sorts of, you know, sources today. And I do want to point out, we don't have Wikipedia, but we do have Unsolved Wiki, which I think is close enough. Yeah. Agreed. (laughs) And that is a great website. Yeah. It really is. I'm like, I love it. Okay. So let's do a little background on Brian Neisenfeld. It is January of 1997. Brian Neisenfeld is 18 years old and he's a college freshman He's starting his second semester at Roger Williams University in Bristol, Rhode Island. He was 
living there on campus and he originally was from New Jersey but mm -hmm. he decided that the school was right for him so he went with it. We've um, all been there deciding a college. That's a tough yeah, choice. Brutal. Um, he was studying architecture and he was kind of debating on a change of pace. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Mm -hmm. He spent most of his time by himself, whether it was studying, reading, or listening to music, and he liked to hang out underneath the Mount Hope Bridge. He didn't have a ton of friends, mm -hmm. kind of a loner, no roommates to hang out with. Right. Um, the architecture program was really, really hard, and he was also very homesick. Yeah. Um, he was there on scholarship, and his mother, Marion, had said that he was under pressure to keep his grades up. Right. So he was pretty stressed out at this point. I can only imagine. I mean, one, being away from your family for the first time ever is so hard. I remember feeling that way um, with college when I moved. You know, I only moved about an hour away, and I was struggling hard, hard, hard. That first semester was tough, you know? So I get that, you know, especially when you're you know, kind of quiet and introverted and you prefer being just with the friends you already have. So moving to a new place, that can be so difficult. Especially five hours away. Oh God, that yeah. is tough. That is tough. Um, and you know, like you said, he's introverted. Nothing wrong with that. Some people, you know, if they don't want a lot of friends, they're fine with having that. Um, like close circle or spending their time alone. I totally relate to that. Um, and you know, he just, he preferred things that I guess were hard to have people with common interests in. Like, he really loved writing poetry. And he just, you know, he liked to do that in his free time. And you don't really write poetry in a group. Right. Right? So I imagine he liked to spend his time alone for that reason. Um, he also really liked to read. You don't really read with other people, you know. So I understand why he would be more of a closed-off kind of guy. And, God, architecture... There is nothing easy about that. Brutal. It's all math and physics and just like, oh my God, there's so much that goes into it. So starting off, you're five hours away from your family. You're in a college you don't know anyone. You're already introverted. And you're doing a subject that's architecture in which it's so hard. God, I, I can't imagine he felt anything but homesick. It sucks. Yeah, it does suck. He went home over Christmas break, and he had actually told his parents that he wanted to change either schools or majors. Mm -hmm. He was thinking about moving to English because right. he was such a good writer. He loved reading. He loved poetry. His mother, Marion, had stated, she said, his father and I said, just stick it out until the end of May, and then you can transfer. Right. Right. Which, I mean, is an idea. Yeah. It, I guess it didn't end up being a good one, but... That's not at her fault entirely, you know? She just wanted to see her son improve and move on and stick with it. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that didn't end up working out for Brian. Um, you know, and when he was home over winter break, he was telling the friends that he had that all of the classmates he had were snotty and upper class and, like, these rich bitches, and he was not a fan of that. And I don't blame him so much, mm -hmm. honestly. Like... I don't think I would like that very much either. Um, luckily, when he came back from winter break, he did switch to English, which is, like you said, reading, poetry. I think that was definitely more his style and so much less demanding, if you think of it, which for is sure. good. That's good for him, you know? Um, he actually liked sending his parents his poetry. He sent it in the mail sometimes, and they knew that he was a good writer, but... 
in the poetry that he had sent um, before this happened, they thought it sounded he could have been a little depressed. Which, you know, it already kind of sounds like he was, if we're being honest here. So that brings us to January 30th of 1997. Brian apparently had a very heated phone call this day. It was more like the night. And um, apparently this conversation was with a former classmate who had dropped out after that first semester. And his name was Josh Cohen. Josh Cohen seemed to be a good friend of Brian. And it seemed like they spent a lot of their time together when it was the first semester and Josh was still attending Roger Williams University. Mm -hmm. So when he got this phone call and it was heated, it seemed a little suspicious in the fact that Brian told his dad that Cohen had threatened him. Was saying things like, he could come on campus anytime and beat him up. Quote. That's a little scary. That's really fucking scary. Like, what? For what reason? So it feels like we're missing some background here, right? For sure. They're friends and all of a sudden, he's going to come on campus and beat him up. And Brian was so scared that at first he didn't name who this person was. He, right. The only thing he would say is it was a former classmate. Yeah. And his dad is pressing for information. And, you know, the people we'll talk about in a little bit press for information. He just doesn't give up the guy's name. Right. So he's telling his dad, you have to come get me. Like, you have to come to Rhode Island and pick me up. I'm yeah. in danger. Yeah. And this was like 1 a.m. Yeah. This was so early in the morning. And like you said, five hours away. So you can imagine his dad's panic. Like, what? What's going on? Right. What's going on? What's happening? Brian's dad called campus security, and then campus security called the student advisor in Brian's dorm to go and check on him. Mm -hmm. I guess campus security, aside from sending the advisor to go check on Brian, their only other response was to tell Brian to just change his phone number. <laughs> so Not helpful. Simple. Yeah. Uh, not <laughs> like a good idea at all. Yeah, like how's that? No guidance, no help, no assistance whatsoever. Like, oh, just get a new number. Um, that's oh, not sure. how this works. Yeah, that's... This is a former student to have access to the campus. He can come and get right. Brian at any time. He knows the campus, at least semi-well. Maybe it was one semester, but that's one more semester than a stranger. And he knows where Brian's living. Right. He knows that that's whole situation. True. Yep, that's true. Oh, that's terrifying. Yep. So the advisor comes, checks on Brian, and Brian's like, you know what, just kidding. I was overreacting. Everything's fine. Don't, don't worry about me. Yeah. And the advisor's like, are you sure? Right. He's like, yeah, don't worry about it. I, I overreacted. He called his dad, told his dad not to come get him. Everything was fine. Said it was probably harmless, mm -hmm. no big deal. I'm sure his dad probably was like, okay, son, like, whatever you say. Because, you know, what do you do in that situation? You're five hours away from your kid. Like, you can't, you can't just get in the car and drive. Right. And he did call him back and say, I was overreacting. It was probably harmless. And, you know, he apparently... When Brian called his dad back, he said, you know, he had made a mistake and that, you know, his father didn't have to take any additional steps to protect him and it was okay. So as a father or a parent, you're, I can't imagine you just are like, oh, okay, cool, done. But I'm sure it probably gives just a slight sense of like, okay, I can go to bed. Right. You know, like this is My all right. kid is safe in the moment. Right, right. So little did he know that perhaps it could have been that he wasn't safe at all. Right. It really could have been. So let's talk about February 6th, 1997. Just a normal Thursday. Um, Brian attended his afternoon literature class. Great. We've all been there. You've yes. been to college. You attended that fucking literature class. <laughs> um, unfortunately, he wasn't doing so great in that class. And so his professor 
attempted to talk to him after the class ended and it seemed like Brian just kind of pushed her off and was like, oh no, I'm fine. I don't need any, I don't need any help. Like I'm doing, I'm okay. And she did say that was a bit odd for him. And then the professor stated that she thought something appeared to be weighing heavily on him that day. So it was a little suspicious that, you know, he brushed off help. Normally he's very, he's very smart. So it was, it was just bizarre. It was bizarre. And unfortunately, that was the last time anyone saw Brian. Yeah. After he left his mid-afternoon-ish lecture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was not in any of his classes the next day on Friday. He was not heard from from anybody all weekend. And then he did not show up for his classes Monday or Tuesday. Right. And then this is when the university had a light bulb moment. <clears throat> hey, maybe we should notify this kid's parents. Oh. That nobody has seen him, nobody's heard from him. The few friends that he does have are saying, hey, we haven't heard from Brian. This really isn't like him. Right. Yeah, he's a loner. Yeah, he's introverted, but he reaches out to us occasionally. We hear from him. Right. We see him in class. He does not skip class. He is smart. He's dedicated. He's on scholarship. Right. So he's not going to brush off class and skip class. It's just not like him. It's not like him. And another thing that was really scary was he disappeared and he left his guitar, his glasses, his bicycle, and his money. Oh. His money was still in his bank account, untouched. Right. All of his stuff was in his dorm. Like, your glasses? Mm, If you need those to fucking see, I'm sorry, but you'd take it with you. Right, something's something's wrong here. And so Brian's friend, Sarah Holmes, stated he disappeared on a Thursday. We really started wondering where he was, like, that Saturday, uh, Sunday morning. And then on Monday is when they really got security involved and so it was actually um wednesday when the campus security finally called his parents like you said Mm -hmm. six whole days just to be clear (laughs) it was six days days. (laughs) can you imagine the horror and the repercussions those people probably received afterwards yep six whole fucking days And Stephen, Brian's father, stated, Everyone knows who is involved in any kind of investigation with a missing person. Time is of the essence. I remember just this uncaring, unsympathetic, unconcerned attitude by the university. Even when they called them. On February 12th, they were notified. And Brian's dad, Stephen's like, "Uh, What are you talking about? Six days have gone by and nobody's seen my kid. Right. Time is of the essence here. He's missing. Let's do something. Absolutely. And the whole time the university is just like, yeah, well, sure it's fine. Well, you know, it's kids. (laughs) Kids Kids. these days, you know. Those little rascals, they love to (laughs) run away. That always pisses me off. You're watching like, documentary or like listening to podcasts and it's based you know the 70s 80s whatever and they're like you know a kid goes missing like an eight-year-old and they're like "Mm, you know like most eight-year-olds do I bet you he probably ran away and even so even if you're 16 17 18 19 you're a grown-ass adult a runaway is still a missing person absolutely if nobody knows where you are you're missing exactly exactly Luckily, nowadays, it doesn't seem like it's too much of a thing. Like, if a four-year-old goes missing, they know they didn't just run away. Right. Let alone, like, an Mm 18-year-old. You know, we're on a Facebook page that is about, like, New Hampshire, New England. of, And people post all the time, this person is missing. This person is missing. They're 62. This person is missing. They're 16, you know? And then, luckily, most of the time, we get updates that are like, they were found safe. 
they were found safe and that's wonderful but not everyone runs away that's so important to distinguish right if you have even a shadow of a doubt report it file it try and find them essentially and just the lax attitude of the campus security and then the police when they get involved go figure right it just it really is so frustrating for us (sighs) having to research this and learn about this Mm -hmm. and i can't even imagine what his parents were feeling right so Stephen, which is Brian's dad, mm-hmm. and then um, his mom, Marianne, felt that the failure of the university to act promptly actually hurt the police investigation, which makes sense. For sure. So, you know, Stephen made the journey up from New Jersey, which is like that five hours, like we said, and looked through his dorm at school and said that nothing seemed out of the ordinary. His room was messy, but it seemed as though Brian, like, just stepped out and was just going to come right back, you know, like going to go grab something from the cafeteria, whatever. Um, So this obviously led Stephen to believe something happened to him. Um, And of course, as you and I know, Katie, it would be six months before there were any breaks in the case. Yeah. And unfortunately, that break was not a positive one. No. So let's talk about that. Um, So over the course of the six months, Brian's mother, Marianne, had received a mysterious phone call um, a female caller had said that something has happened to your son. Ugh. She also said that this woman calling on the phone mm-hmm. said that she was associated with the school and that an administrator and two faculty members were withholding information about the case. Ugh. So before Marianne could be like, um, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah. The phone went dead. Ugh. And because it's 1997. Yeah, good luck. You can't really call them back. No. Um, state and local authorities, as well as the Coast Guard, searched the woods and then the bay near the campus. Steven Neisenfeld repeatedly traveled the five-hour drive to Rhode Island, where he plastered pictures of his son around the area, and he shared information about his son's disappearance. Because no one else was. No one else was, right. You, and this is the same thing we talked about in our last episode with Mike McLean. People are actively searching for their missing loved ones, friends family, the community, not the police. Mm-hmm. This is not uncommon, which is terrifying and ridiculous. Just ridiculous. So this puts us at six months after his disappearance on Labor Day weekend of 1997. So it's Labor Day weekend and it was just started out like normal. That's always how it goes, right? Mm-hmm. It started out as a normal day. A woman named Lori Vales and her daughter Chelsea were walking along Hog Island Beach. And this is an island across from, and we've talked about it before, Narragansett Bay in Bristol, Rhode Island. Um, while walking, Lori and Chelsea are, you know, on the shore, la la la, and they come upon a tan boot. And they're like, whoa, look at this boot. Or I don't know, I made that up. But they, what, for whatever reason, they picked up the boot and made the awful, disturbing discovery. Inside the tan boot, was a foot, a human foot, decayed. I'm imagining just probably skeletal at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and to their surprise, laying nearby the boot was a human shin bone. I would have died right there. Me too. That's horrifying. I would have died. They didn't specify how old Chelsea was, but if she was a little, like a child, oh, that poor thing. They, having to witness that is scary. 
I just hope it was the mom that picked up the boot I and know. not her. I know. What if it was like a little girl and she's like, look, mom, yeah. look, mommy. And there's like, oh, there's a foot in it. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. It's foul. Yeah. That is so, so sad. So sad. And it probably didn't smell great. <sighs> no fit. Like, you know, but naturally decay and with and it's labor the ocean, day. It's, it's hot. hot. Out. Oh, yeah. No good. So of course, Lori and Chelsea called the police and were mm-hmm. like, hey, um, we, we found, found a, a human foot and another bone. Um, so, of course, they took the bones and attempted to run DNA testing. Mm-hmm. Basically, the medical examiner, as soon as they examined the foot and the shin bone, they made a guess of who it belonged to. They said probably a white male between 18 and 20 years old who was between five foot six and five foot seven. Unfortunately, when you have a shin bone and a foot, unless it was a foot or shin-related injury, it's not obvious the cause of death. So that was difficult. All they had was a foot and a shin bone. What are you going to, what can you tell from that? Right. Nothing, essentially. So when they determined that the shin bone was probably from someone who was between five foot six and five foot seven inches in height. Mm-hmm. This kind of tipped them off because Brian Nisenfeld was five foot seven. Right. And, and he was 18 and they said. 18, yep. yeah. The age oh. matches and also the tan boot that encased the foot was very similar to a pair that he owned. Yeah. So they're a little suspicious. Yeah. They had Brian's parents travel to Rhode Island from New Jersey again. <laughs> to get blood samples for DNA, and then, sure enough, the foot and the shin bone that was determined to be from a left leg belonged to Brian. Oh, so devastating. Can you imagine, finally, you have, you know, an answer, but it's such a short non-answer. I know. Yes, our son, he's definitely dead. Here are his his foot and a shin bone. There's no way he's not dead. No. just be unrealistic. But it's insane because there's no other remains. I mean, divers attempted to locate more near the area, but they were unsuccessful. Yeah. Yeah. And the kind of nail on the head there was that, like you said, Brian did own a pair of shoes like that, and they were missing from his dorm room. So I think it's, you know, that was a good indicator as well, unfortunately, because that is just so awful. And, you know, you might be wondering... Why did they just find a foot in a one bone? Well, classically, if a body is in the water, one of the um, things that is often found um, of a human body that's separated from the rest is a foot or a shin bone because the ankle is the weakest part of the body. And with currents and you know rapid rivers, it's more likely that a foot would break off than anything else because it's so fragile. So that's probably why just his foot bone and his shin were found. Isn't that crazy? It's really sad. It's really sad. And so, of course, like we said, with this, there's no cause of death. Right. Nobody knows. Right. All we know is that somehow Brian ended up in the water. Where did he end up in the water? Why did he end up in the water? Good questions. Let's talk about some theories. Let's do it. Okay, so you guys might remember... When we first started talking about Brian, we mentioned that phone call he got. That was a threatening phone call from his former classmate, Josh Cohen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is, 
I like this theory in terms of like it feels very possible. His family likes this theory too. And I don't blame him so much. I don't blame him so much. And this kind of speculation about what happened to Brian led to a lot of negative media. Yeah. Which is so unfortunate because the last thing he needs is negative media for something so dumb. So dumb. And it's the 90s. And so we had mentioned that when Brian called his dad Mm -hmm. and was like, I just got a really scary menacing phone call from Mm -hmm. a former student Mm -hmm. and he wouldn't say who it was. Yeah. Campus officials finally are starting to do something. Mm-hmm. They were able to identify the man from the phone calls as Josh Cohen, who we had mentioned. Right. Um, they were very close friends. There was speculation that the two had been romantically involved because a reporter had written an article hinting at this shortly after his remains were found. Um, it seemed to be speculation, and the article got a lot of backlash. Um, Understandably. She basically read his poetry. Right. And was like, yeah, he's gay. Which, so what if he was? That wasn't the time or place to make that speculation. Right. And say that this was a huge stressor for Brian. He is now dead and his foot was just found. Yeah. Do not out him. Right. To everybody. That is so disrespectful to him. Right. Just really... Really sad. Yeah, that is really sad. It's just very distasteful to assume that, you know, someone died and you're going to do an article on them Mm -hmm. and you go to read their poetry and then you end up writing this whole article about how they're gay and they had a romantic relationship with Josh Cohen and it turned sour and it was a big stressor for him. And it's homophobic, honestly. For sure. Don't, yeah, don't out. It's just very disrespectful to out somebody when they die. I know. Anyway, let alone a tragic death. I mean, this kid was 18. Yeah. I know, that's awful. And so, you know, Josh, of course, was kind of the center of attention for a little bit because it was like, Mm -hmm. okay, if you were in a relationship or whatever with Brian, what's the deal there? You need to talk. And so not much is really known about Josh. We just know that they were friends in the fall of 1996, that first semester at college. And then for whatever reason, Josh left Roger Williams University Um, and then a year after Brian disappeared, so like six months after his remains were partial remains, quarter remains, barely any remains were found, um, Josh confessed to leaving that threatening phone message. He said that he did do that, but claimed that it was just a joke and that the pair had done that in a joking manner before. You know, like how you and I, Katie, will call each other and threaten to murder each other just cause. I'm going to come into your apartment. I'm going to, I can get in there at any time. (laughs) I'm going to beat you. (laughs) What? That's not uh, listen. Friendship. That's not. <laughs> and we're not men. We don't. Maybe men joke like that. Something tells me that maybe they don't. But then again, too, if you know that your friend or whoever is joking about this and it's happened before, mm. why did Brian call his father terrified? Like, yeah. you need to come get me right now. Yeah. And the way that he sounded on the phone, his dad said his voice was quivering and he could tell that Brian was terrified. Yeah. So that's why his dad's like, stay on the line with me. I'm calling campus security to come help you. Yeah. That's how emergent it sounded. So why would that be any different from the usual? Thank you. Makes sense. Okay. Bullshit, Josh. Yeah. Fuck that. And so, you know, Josh had claimed that he and Brian used to mess around a lot, quote unquote, saying silly things and making false threats. And he also made a statement later saying, 
quote, I think the parents are desperate and they are just so upset. There was never a dispute, nothing that would make him disappear. Sounds like something a guilty person would say. Right, let's project onto the parents. They're just grasping at straws. Like, fuck you. Jesus, that's insane. (sighs) And so, this is fucked up. Officer Corinna, he was the one that answered the phone call when Steve, you know, called campus security and was like, my son just, you know, called me frantically and was saying this, whatever. Um, He described the phone call as a dispute between two male friends that, in his opinion, had some homosexual overtones. Okay. So, if that's the case, it shouldn't have affected your investigation, and he did let it affect the investigation. Right, because where is the rest of Brian? Uh, good question. How did Brian die? That doesn't... Homosexual overtones, (laughs) quote, doesn't solve... A, a crime. Like, I just don't get Where it. is this guy's body and how did it end up in the water? Yes. It's not because he's gay. Like, right. And that's ugh. the problem is Stephen thought, and he said this later, that because of that quote of that officer saying, oh, it was homosexual overtones, whatever, the case was dismissed or looked over because it was, could have possibly dealt with a gay man. Yeah. And who cares, right? Um, fucked up. We're, we're putting a lot of swear money into this episode. I know. I know we really are. Because it's fucked (laughs) because of this whole theory that brian was gay as well as josh um there are some people that believe that josh was going to come forward about his and brian's supposed relationship right and that brian committed suicide as a result this was like a a huge stressor for him Mm -hmm. brian's family however thinks that josh may have been involved in or was responsible for brian's death right Josh Cohen is actually still regarded as a possible suspect in the case. Mm-hmm. And Brian's family is convinced that he's the one responsible. You know, he looks good for it. Yep. He really does. You know who uh, disagrees with that? Probably Josh. And the police? Oh, and the police. They say that Josh admitted that he was the one to make the calls, but that he was only joking. So he couldn't possibly have done it because he was joking. JK. Yeah, JK. When you slap a JK on that, it's all good, right? (laughs) You know, so there's that theory. And Mm -hmm. I think that sounds like the most plausible. um, That's what the family, the family is convinced, set in stone. I think that's a good point. Yeah. So, you know, one of the sources we said we used was Reddit. um, And I think it was probably the same thread we saw. Um, But, you know, one of the theories is that he committed suicide, which mm-hmm. sure is definitely possible. He really liked to stay on that and like hang out on that bridge, which you showed me a picture of it. It's like a green Golden Gate Bridge. It's ginormous. It is 285 feet up in the air. Um, if you guys Google Mount Hope Bridge in Bristol, Rhode Island, I mean, I don't know what I was expecting when I was reading this article i thought it was a quaint little yep. in the woods little overpass maybe over yeah. a river and he yep. would sit on the side and listen to music yeah yeah no no this is a legit bridge massive <laughs> so it also is a notorious suicide location right whether it's for other students on campus right whether it's for people that seek out that bridge to jump on purpose sure um we actually had someone write in about this story and tell us that they did go to Roger Williams University and that a lot of students, even years later, think that this case was suicide. Yeah. There are signs posted everywhere. Yeah. Don't jump. Don't do it. You know, 
this is a hotline to call right. because it's that notorious of a spot. And so I think, too, because he liked to hang out there, that fueled this theory that it was suicide. Right. Right. Um, one of the things, of course, like you said, his parents are like, no, it was Josh. It mm-hmm. was an outside thing. It wasn't Brian. Um, although, like they said, his parents had read his poetry, and it did seem like he did have depression. He was struggling with something. Yeah. Um, he was having a hard time at college. He was homesick. Um, he was possibly questioning his sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, so in theory, it's not totally unlikely. And then his professor, too, saying that something was weighing very heavily on him. Right. Like he was very preoccupied thinking of something else, did not want help in class. Right. Like it maybe it didn't matter anymore. Right. Yeah. And then on this Reddit thread, uh, like I started to say, there was a Reddit user who commented saying that they were a friend of Brian's. Oh, shit. Yeah. And they said that. You know, they claim that all the people close to Brian do not think it was a suicide. Yeah. Wow. And so he said that, or he, she, the user said mm-hmm. that those around him would not have cared if he was gay and that Brian certainly wouldn't have killed himself over being gay. Um, and according to this friend, the following school year at freshman orientation, the university apparently assured the incoming students that Brian was alive. Oh, <gasps> yeah. no. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I'm imagining my freshman orientation and like we had this big, you know, meeting in the gym with everyone there. At what point would they be like, oh, by the way, well, here's the, the cafeteria opened seven to seven. Um, our mascot is a dog. By the way, there's a student that's missing. He's definitely alive. Like what? Where did that come into play? Oh my God. Um, I actually read an article that a student wrote oh. in the school newspaper okay. saying that the university was brushing it under the rug, ignoring mm. everybody's concerns and mm-hmm. acting like nothing was a problem. That's fucked up. Which, I mean, that was their approach from the beginning with the parents. Like, they were so chill on the phone mm-hmm. with the parents. Like, yeah, nobody's seen your kid in six days, but I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> right. And Steven's like, what do you mean it's fine? He's a missing person. Like, right. I don't know what you're talking about. Why are you so relaxed about this? It's so wrong. Mm-hmm. So wrong. Another Reddit user also speculated something that I thought was really interesting. What if it wasn't a relationship between Josh and Brian, but rather a sexual assault? Oh, shit. Like, could Brian have been sexually assaulted? Or it's possible the other way around. Vice versa, yeah. And that could have sent him spiraling. Wow. Again, just speculation. Just another theory, but it's that interesting. That would explain their fallout, too. Could be. And, like, the threatening nature of the phone call? Could be. Right? Holy fuck. Yeah. That one I also am like, well, you know, with, you know, especially in the 90s. I mean, it even happens today in the 2020s. Gay, homosexual people who are questioning can be very defensive about it. Very, um, get really upset if others even question that. But they really are. So, you know, if that was what happened it it could be possible it really could wow i know and then there's one more theory that eh, i don't think is probably what happened but basically that you know we said that brian liked to go to that bridge maybe he accidentally fell but of course and i first thought was like yeah maybe i thought it was like a dinky little wooden bridge but after seeing that picture i'm like how would he have just fallen there's rails right it's protected so that doesn't happen and they reinforce that bridge because of the people that go there to commit suicide. Right, right. They do not make it easy. You have to climb over the railing and purposely jump yeah. 
So it's not like a whoopsie and you go over there. <laughs> it's not like that. And he's been there. It sounds like he was, it sounds like he hung out there a lot. Yeah, he was a regular. Right. So he would have known, yeah. you know, oh, this spot of the bridge is a little weak. Right. Maybe I'll avoid that. Or right. he He's familiar with the area. I really don't feel like it was an accident. I don't think so either. I don't. Unfortunately, I just thought I'd bring it up, but I don't think it was an accident. Yeah, I mean, authorities still are questioning whether it was an accident, whether it was suicide, whether it was murder. Yeah. Because there's no cause of death, because there's no remains to examine to help determine this. You're right. And I really think if somebody looked harder, I bet you they could find something. Mm-hmm. Something. Yeah. It's so sad. So, up today, 2022, this is still unsolved. Yeah. Um, Brian's family is very frustrated with how this case was handled, not just in the aspect of how long it took for the university to notify them, but about how lax their approach was, especially with the threatening phone calls, too. Yeah. They feel like their son's death could have been prevented if only the phone calls were investigated sooner. I agree. Anyone with any information on this case is asked to please contact the Rhode Island State Police at 401-444-1000, or you can call the Bristol Police Department at 401-253-6900. Man, that's tough. It's just, it's so much. What do you guys think happened? What, tell us your comment on our Instagram uh, under this post what you guys think happened. Because I want to know. I'm really torn between Josh having something to do with it mm-hmm. and suicide. Yeah. Regardless, it's mysterious. Even if Josh showed up at the bridge mm. where Brian was hanging out and shoved him. Yeah. I mean, anything. Could be. And it's so frustrating to not know what happened, especially for his family. I know. Um, it's, it's been what? I mean, February just passed. I mean, it just passed. Yeah. The anniversary. That's 97, right. 97, so 24 years now? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, And if you guys want more information, too, you can watch the Unsolved Mysteries episode on this. Um, It's season 11, episode 6. Nice. Yeah, that's the mysterious death of Brian Neisenfeld. Crazy. Crazy, sad, sad stuff. Man, you guys definitely go on our Instagram, DM us, email us, tell us what you think. And to find us, you can go on Instagram or Twitter, find us at truecrimene. All lowercase. Or you can email us at truecrimene at gmail.com. Or you can come on our website, truecrimene.com. We have a submission tool where you can send us stuff on the website, questions, comments, concerns, criticisms, theories, cases you'd like for us to cover. Say hi. (laughs) (laughs) And you can be anonymous if you want to. We do not ask that you leave your name. But yeah, also browse the website too. You guys can listen to other episodes on there and check out our other pages and mm-hmm. such um, case profiles too we've been doing yes on people of color who have been very underrepresented in the media that we were not able to do entire episodes on because of lack of information yes but there's information on those guys too on our case profiles page Katie works very hard on those and she does a great job so They're definitely <laughs> yes definitely case check them out. my baby <laughs> she does a great job so check them out and With that, we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.